Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone. I hope you had a restorative end to 2022 and are settling into the flow of the new year. My guests today are siblings who grew up in the mountains of southern Appalachia in the North Cascades of Washington State. After childhoods spent roaming the woods and trails, one would go on to forge a path as a championship-level trail runner, author, political campaign manager and climate activist, managing the campaign that would see their friend Chloe Maxim become the youngest female state senator in Maine's history alongside setting astonishing course records and fastest known times on the trails. The other trod a different path to become an internationally published and awarded photographer and filmmaker, with their work which engages viewers in contemporary issues through a humanistic lens, featuring in the New York Times, National Geographic, Esquire and The Atlantic, and their films Food Chains and The Important Places, receiving critical acclaim and screening in dozens of countries and festivals, including Tribeca and Berlinale. The siblings' footprints crossed this year, however, with the launch of the film Rural Runners, a meditative and intimate look at the incredible journey that rewrote progressive success in rural America and won two campaigns in red districts where they were expected to lose. The film epitomises what it means to show up in an incredibly relatable and raw manner that shines a light beyond the dark state of party politics. I am now truly humbled and excited to invite my guests to introduce themselves further in the manner of their choosing. Hello and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, wow, that was that was a sweet introduction in a sense. That's cooler than we are. Uh, <laughs> it's so good to be here with you. Thanks a lot for the invite, Francesca. Um, yeah, I would say, let's see, introduce myself. I, I'm the youngest, the youngest of a bunch of kiddos. Definitely identify as, as the youngest child. <laughs> uh, spending tons of time outdoors, um, chasing after my older, older siblings and building forts and we were all homeschooled by parents um so that was a big part of my upbringing all of our upbringings um the big focus on like experiential education and time outdoors and um traveling a good bit and being immersed in different cultures and um so i had a really cool childhood growing up in 
in the mountains and um since then life has yeah it's taken me towards some competitive trail running which has been really fun and a ton of organizing around climate issues and um more recently having really head first into electoral politics here in the states um and yeah kind of that's kind of me <laughs> thank you and now over to forest <laughs> yeah thanks so much just echoing canyon there um it's wonderful to uh, get to have a conversation with you francesca and thanks for having <laughs> us on um I am, how would I describe myself? I guess I am uh, maybe fond as one of Canyon's biggest cheerleaders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a filmmaker and uh, photographer and uh, a, a voracious dabbler in uh, anything that gets me outside. So um, enjoy spending time in the mountains, running and climbing. And, um, and we grew up doing a lot of uh, whitewater river stuff and bike touring and when you when you asked uh, uh when we were getting ready for the call you mentioned um you know sharing some some uh fun fact about us and i was for some reason transported back to a, a family bike trip that we did for um six weeks down along the southern coast of uh of england down through cornwall and that area and uh and i thought for some reason it would be fun to share that i own a English uh, stuffed animal hedgehog still from that bike ride when I was eight years old. Um, a little hedgehog named Thistle that uh, rode in my handlebar bag along the uh, southern coast there um, through England. And uh, yeah, just have very fond memories of uh, growing up homeschooling and um, getting to travel and explore a lot. And um, and some of that included uh, long bike tours through through England. So. Um, have some affinity for you you all over there uh, across the across the pond <laughs> oh I love that anecdote. I love that little hedgehog I didn't know he came from overseas <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's amazing so uh, thank you for that anecdote I have a, a great affinity to Cornwall and also I have um, American family and my godmother who lives um, in upstate New York near Poughkeepsie um, she actually had in her when she lived over in England she had a little um a hedgehog that I called Heather um and Heather used to have like a particular seat in the house I was never allowed to take Heather home which always really annoyed me but I used to write Heather these little um these little notes and things and then when uh when she sold her house in England I I've now got Heather in in a cupboard here <laughs> with her notes and things so <laughs> that's amazing it's incidental been... connection <laughs> we've all got English stuffed hedgehogs <laughs> great <laughs> so you both mentioned that um you know growing up outdoors um and being homeschooled and close to nature what do you think that that gave both of you in terms of how it then kind of informed the trajectory of of where you've gone I think uh growing getting to grow up in that manner and getting to spend so much time in the out of doors, um, kind of, uh, gave us this, um, this lens through which to see and interact with the world that, um, that really saw, um, our connection to nature and our connection to people through experiences out in the natural world as being a really fundamental way of, um, 
of learning about ourselves, of learning about the environments that we were in and also um, building community, making community, you know, through those, through those relationships that are forged on a trail or um, going down a river or climbing a mountain or whatever it might be. And um, yeah, I think it just gave us a, a really sort of fundamental appreciation of, um, of, of that sort of connective power of, of spending time in that outdoors. Would you say the same, Canyon? Yeah, I totally agree with with all of that. I would say, um, I think I'd add in just kind of a um, uh, I guess we had a lot of freedom in our in our in like what we studied and put our time towards in school. It wasn't it was very far from kind of like a rigid. These are the subjects and these are the the class times is like we could just come up with our kind of study and our schedule for the week or or what have you and there was just so much freedom to explore and follow follow our interests in a pretty freeform way and I feel like that's something that that really shaped us as well and um I feel like that's carried into work beyond school of, of just following following different directions, whether it's going in and working in outdoor education for a little while and then and then dabbling in climate organizing and and then going over to, to work on a friend's campaign and just being just being open to kind of going with the flow as opposed to working within a real rigid structure. And you are both incredibly multifaceted because although kind of Canyon is the the runner in inverted commas and and Forrest is the the filmmaker and photographer again in inverted commas, but you're both sort of like cross-pollinating across those identities really, I guess. And I was kind of wondering what creativity meant to each of you when you were growing up as well. not undersell Forrest as as a runner too. He's we he kind of got me got me into it really. Um, we trained for our our first hundred mile race and ran that together, which was was really sweet. And so much of our of our yeah most creative times too. I think I've I've found have been sharing miles together running. I find that to be one of the I don't know one of the best times for just like generative just thinking and ideating conversations. I love that as part of our relationship. Um, and yeah, I feel like, I feel like creativity was a huge, a huge element of that. Just like exploration as a, as a kid, having the freedom that we did within our, our home school and philosophy. Um, and I feel like, yeah, that kind of creativity and, Resourcefulness definitely something that has been super useful in like the campaign world where we've um, you know working working on these campaigns with with my friend Chloe that you mentioned like just kind of tossing out the old playbook of how how campaigns should be run and um, having things be really community oriented and like getting local artists together and hand painting our campaign signs um, and, you know, not leaning on the party consultants and instead designing 
all of our own like campaign literature and mailers and and all of that stuff. And I feel like yeah, creativity is that creativity and resourcefulness has been kind of a core element of of all of that. And Forrest, were you always yeah. um, kind of into into photography? How's your relationship with that evolved, and and what's it kind of become to you? Yeah, I um, I got into photography um, at a pretty young age, just um, on family trips. I was given a, a little point and shoot camera and, and we'd go on these like month long family trips, um, you know, bike touring or, or camping or whatever it might be. And I would have one, one roll of film for, to last me like the month. So, but I loved it. You know, it was, it was like my thing. I was the only one with the camera and I just, <laughs> uh, uh, was fascinated by, um, sort of the, you know, that for those who remember the kind of pre-digital experience of taking photos on a roll of film and that excitement of, uh, of not knowing quite what you got until you, um, get the film back and, uh, all that time of anticipation, I think really like, um, hooked me on the, on the medium of photography as just this sort of alchemical or, or, um, sort of magical experience. Um, of a way to interpret the world and um, maybe at that age I wasn't thinking like oh this is a way to interpret the world but it certainly was a way to interact with people and to be curious about places that we were visiting and and really pay attention in a way and so that began for me and then my dad had a um a dark room in our basement um in this this old cabin foundation this stony foundation and um he would take me down there and um i could watch him develop film and and print he taught me to print and develop film and all that um and and so that um kind of gave me uh just an early set of skills and a sense of connection to this you know medium that um that has ended up being um how i how i sort of made my my way in the world um and i wouldn't say a whole lot has changed you know i still um i still love photography as a medium that connects me to being curious about the world and about people and um it being a way to both um interpret and interact with the world um but also to try and and give give something back or to be in conversation um with other people and with with landscapes and um and yeah i still love it for it for that and i think that was kind of my original draw to it as well um and on the i would just say on um going back to your earlier question about creativity being sort of a um something you know how did we interact to that as as younger folks i think what we saw from our parents was uh that you know creativity was not something that was um limited to like a, a white wall gallery, gallery space or to a certain corner of academia. Creativity is something that, um, can be embodied. That can be, um, really, uh, much more about a philosophy of life or the ways that you, uh, choose to interact with the world on a daily basis. And so I think that that was how creativity came into my world and our world as, as, um, can in my, you know, shared world, but, um, 
that's how it came into our world less as like, uh, oh, you got to be an artist or, you know, got to be, uh, you know, wear the right clothes, have a beret and paintbrushes to be creative. It was like, how, how do you choose to live your life and, um, and, and spend your time as, as being kind of the ultimate creative act. And I, I still relate to that um, side of creativity as well. That's a really beautiful way of putting it. I think it's not something that you do. It's a way that you live. Um, And well, first of all, also your parents sound amazing. Can we get them on a call in the future as well? um, They've they've fostered a really incredible way of interacting with the world that's obviously led you down the paths that it has. And I'm interested, Canyon, do do you relate to that in terms of your running as well as as a means of of kind of living and interacting with the world? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like one of the biggest things with me um, around running is just like that free space for the mind to kind of play and unwind. I I, um, I feel like uh, like I was mentioning with like that being some of the best conversation and picking space I so often find that especially especially in the context of like if I'm Working full time in the in the heat of the campaign, being able to close close the laptop screen or go aside whatever project and just go outside and be in nature most of the time when I'm running and in my body and just with the mind free to kind of flow and process whatever whatever is um, kind of just in the background waiting to, to spring to the front I feel like that's um, yeah I feel like that's some of the most important time I almost um, what comes to mind is like dreaming and, and how I feel like that's um, we do so much kind of just like processing and subconscious stuff that we don't really understand when we're asleep, um, I feel like there's definitely some parallels of that for me with, with that space of just hours on hours every week running and just kind of letting letting whatever whatever is going on in my life and in, in kind of the background come come and bubble up to the forefront and and process it all. And, um, I feel like it's just such a yeah such an important practice for feeling connected to my body and, and my spirit. There's a there's quite a competitive element about you though as well, isn't there? I, I, is there a different experience when, for example, with your FKT um, on a 70 mile traverse in the Smoky Mountains? Um, can you talk me through your experience of that? Is that a different state of mind? To- yeah, I would say, say it's, it's definitely different. I feel like I love I love those big those big objectives, whether it's a, an FKT or a race, um, and just putting those on the calendar somewhere, usually way way in the future, months down the line, um, and that that being kind of the access point to the daily practice, I feel like is one of the biggest um, biggest motivators for me to just get out there. Every day without that, it's easy to be like, oh, should I run today? Should I not? But when you know you've got this big 
this big thing looming in the future. It's like, okay, I'm going to, I know I'm going to do this practice daily and, and really commit to it. And um, so I love them for that. And I think being in that space, you know, you, you think about it for, for months going into it and you come up with, you know, usually a really detailed plan, sometimes even kind of like mile by mile, the, you know, your time goals and your fueling needs and for, you know, something like that, that um, unsupported run through the Smokies that, that you're asking about, you know, that's um, a completely unsupported thing. So you're carrying all of, the, all of the fuel and emergency equipment and layers that you'll need for the, for the entire traverse and mapping out, you know, where you can, where you think you can count on water sources um, to, to filter from along the way and, you know, how much capacity you'll need. And then you get out there and I find it, and I tend to be, yeah, just like in a much, in a much different space, like you're alluding to than in the day to day. I'm like really focused in and oftentimes it's kind of wild how much it just flies by in the just like focus push of just like really concentrating on on each mile and on staying on track with with fueling and hydration and you know pushing through the climbs and flying down the down the down downhills trying to stay on your feet <laughs> um, and yeah I find I find that to be a really fun just like focused very focused flowing outlet space and it's interesting that kind of combination of like your embodied connection to the trails and to nature and then on the other hand this sort of steely determination focus and organization and do you think it's that kind of combination that you sort of successfully transfer into other aspects of your life for example with the political campaigning Hmm. That's a great reflection. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would, I would say so. I feel like, I feel like zooming way out, kind of like the combination of, of the running and the, um, the political work and organizing work, does kind of embody that. Where, you know, the for me in a lot of ways, the generally speaking, the running is, is kind of just like filling up filling up my cup so to speak just like something that I do much more just for for fun and for you know play and exploration whereas um whereas the organizing work is much more of that like focused in really um really working hard for something that feels feels much higher stakes and important um and yeah i feel like they balance each other really really nicely in that way and yeah have a lot of elements of of kind of that yeah that like focused in drive versus the more the more free play exploration <laughs> and sorry forest you were going to add something there where i then kind of plowed on with my <laughs> with my question oh no that was, a, that was a wonderful question, I, and I I loved hearing Kenyon's um, reflection on mm-hmm. it. So it made me think of how, like, um, 
you know, the race or the election day um, is those are kind of the um, those are the treat you get for all of the the work you put in um, to like slog through the low points of organizing or of training because you always have those days where you're just like, oh, why am I doing this? I can't even and um, and I love that analogy of of sort of act political activation and and um, the sort of work it takes um, to engage in that space being being analogous to like the the um, the way that we think about training for a big objective like that. Um, and I forget what the other thing I was thinking about was. Oh, the other thing was uh, just from a running standpoint, I, uh, the, for those who, who don't know the um, route that Canyon was mm. talking about, the FKT route is, is a really beautiful. I just wanted to set the scene of that a, a little bit more. It's oh, just this beautiful do. route um, through the spine of the, of the Appalachian mountains here, the great smoky mountains along the North Carolina, Tennessee border. And it's just this really stunning um, 72 mile run uh, that goes uh, something like gains, I think around 18,000 feet over the course of the run. Um, and you're on this ridge that's just running through these rolling seas of, of green and blue hills and um, beautiful deciduous forests and, um, there's just one access point on the on the trail where it crosses a road, so it's this really unique um, stretch of trail um, uh, that that's really near and dear to us in our our backyard there. Um, and uh, yeah, I just thought your the trail running audience would would appreciate um, hearing a little bit more about that trail. No, I really I really appreciate it as well. That has set the scene beautifully. And I'm interested, we've sort of talked there about kind of the parallels um, between sort of running and life and how we can apply what we learn in nature to life, whether that's as balance or or kind of the skills that we take from it um, too. Um, and I'm interested, Canyon, when did you first kind of come to realize the power of your voice to elicit change? Yeah, I... Hmm. Um, I, mean, I guess we we were certainly certainly our parents exposed us to, to a good amount of kind of environmental and um, social activism growing up. I remember you know being certainly and being very involved in in local. And local environmental issues and taking us to, you know, like protests at, uh, um, at Fort Benning, where the U.S. School of the Americas was, which is, has been a, a huge hub for kind of American imperialism and, um, and, you know, being a training, basically training, um, training Latin Americans, uh, um, Special forces to, to be involved with, you know, over overthrowing governments in Latin America that are in in the U.S.'s interests and whatnot, and so definitely getting exposed to the kind of organizing through through them some growing up, but not not being very involved with it myself, and definitely not having any interest in electoral politics, which just felt mm. so wheezy and. Uh, corrupt and like something I just wanted nothing to do with <laughs> um, and I would say it was in college that I really I really began to realize what 
power we can have as individuals coming coming together into a group to to really to really put focused work into into changing things and I think that started with the fossil fuel divestment mm-hmm. campaign at Harvard for me um, which um, my friend Chloe who we talked about a little bit founded uh, um, and that was basically a campaign to by by students and and eventually hundreds of faculty joined and and thousands and thousands of, of alumni and the point was to pressure Harvard to take their forty plus billion dollar endowment out of fossil fuel companies um, to, to sort of lead the charge on on climate action and and begin to stigmatize the fossil fuel industry that has such a death grip on our politics mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, and that was that was a super powerful campaign and learning experience for me as, as a young activist. Um, eventually succeeded. It took 10 years, but Harvard finally took its money out of um, oil and gas and coal companies just this, this past year. Um, yeah, and that was that was what really opened my eyes to, to organizing and, and kind of using 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 my voice, as you say, for for pushing for things that that feel like they ought to be different, and um, that that then translated into the electoral work with Chloe after we both graduated in 2015, and she decided to move move back home to her super rural conservative hometown and, and run for office there. That's an incredible legacy. And I know um, in Dirt Road Revival, which is the book that you co-authored with Chloe, you kind of go into the into the intricacies of the thinking and processes behind your campaigning. Um, but I was wondering if you could also outline um, for the audience why rural politics was your focus and how you and Chloe then went about doing things differently. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much of it is 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 parallel to where most of the audience is, but um, certainly here, there's like a really, really deep divide um, between rural voters and urban voters in the U.S. with with suburban populations and kind of kind of split in the middle and it's a divide that really is um is is fairly recent at least in in terms of um you know in 2009 for example it was a completely even partisan split between democrats and republicans in in polls of of rural voters asking you know which party they they would identify with and since 2009, it's gone from that even split up to um, a 16-point gap in 2016 to about 23 points now, which is just a, a massive, massive margin across the country. And um, that was also, you know, paralleling a, a lot of the time that Chloe and I were in school um, organizing around climate issues and becoming part of this 
this huge growing um, national and global climate movement. Um, and that felt really powerful, but we realized that it just, we despite all of the people and institutions involved with it, we still were not passing any kind of really meaningful climate legislation at the federal level. Um, and that is largely because of the people that we have in office and not having the majorities that we need and, and the kind of bold leadership that we need in office. And so that was the turning point for me being like, oh, electoral politics awful. I want nothing to do with it to, I guess, <laughs> electoral politics is awful, but, um, you know, we, we have to engage with it if we want anything to change. And so looking at the composition of, of the legislatures at, at the state and federal level, it was super clear that this, this, um, growing, growing gap in rural America was a huge reason why we weren't able to elect the, the majorities that we need to, to pass legislation because we were just hemorrhaging, um, hem- hemorrhaging seats in rural areas. We lost almost a thousand seats in state legislatures across the country um, between 2008 and 2016. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of why why we decided to, to dive into trying to stem the bleeding and, and turn it around in, in rural areas. And would you describe your approach as a more kind of compassionate form of politics, do you think? Yeah, totally. I think we we both came in with this distaste for politics as mm. as we've come to know it and really wanting to do something differently um, to, to organize in the community in a way that would leave that community better off for the campaign, whether whether or not the campaign was successful, especially facing the steep odds that we did, you know, and like the district that Chloe won in, in 2018 that had a 16 point Republican advantage. We went into that knowing that, you know, the odds, the odds were not <laughs> in our favor. And so it had to be more than just uh, about winning or losing. Um, and so part of that was we, we ran completely positive campaigns, um, didn't say a negative word about our parents in, in either race and really just focused on on the positives and vision for um, what Chloe could do in office and as well as just how we can do politics in a way that is more respectful and um, rooted in in community and bring, trying to bring folks together as much as possible as opposed to taking the easy way out of fear mongering and pitting just like creating these stories of the other and mm. creating division around that, which is um which is unfortunately what we see so much of in both of our major parties in the US and in in the media. Um and it's it's just like it's something that everybody 
hate, <laughs> but um, not, yeah, there's just not, doesn't seem to be that much effort going into doing it differently. Um, and part of that is because it works um, in a lot of cases, um, but it's not, it's not the only way to do it. And I think we'd be a whole lot better off for, for investing in, in the hard work of, of doing trying to do it differently. Absolutely. And it's interesting that both of you kind of open the conversation with talking about um, movement and creativity um, and growing up with that, that idea of community um, and connection being really fundamental to, to the two of you. And it's interesting, Kenny, whenever you mentioned Chloe, you've used the pre-modify my friend Chloe. And do you think that friendship is also really key to how you presented to, to people and the ability of people to identify with with you as a pair and kind of friendship being almost like being like a manifesto in a way. <laughs> mm. I love that question. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I would say our, in terms of like the the broader the broader kind of voting population, I, I think I, I was very much behind the scenes and folks, folks didn't really see any of that. But in terms of like the, the volunteers that were the, mm. the beating heart of our campaigns who showed up rain or shine to go and knock on doors and have the difficult conversations, listening to listening folks on, on both sides of the aisle. I think, you know, I think those folks certainly, certainly saw our relationship and um, how, yeah, how, um, how much our our friendship and love for each other was was a core part of our work. And so, um, so maybe, yeah, I think you know that was certainly something that we tried to embody in in building the the community of, of volunteers too, of like making it so making it so it wasn't just like show up and get your clipboard and <laughs> and your script and go and knock on doors and then uh see you later, but instead make trying to trying to make relationships a big a big part of the campaign too, so that folks, you know, showed up because they were excited about Chloe or excited about the cost that mm-hmm. they hung around week after week because um because the community and, and the relationships were were worth it so that was that was at least a, a part of the vision and I, you know I don't know how much that was was the case or, or not but yeah I love that I love that question and, and reflection and I love the fact that, I mean, your campaign, to borrow from the introduction to Dirt Road Revival, it doesn't start with a clipboard. It, it starts with a handshake. And it strikes me also, Forrest, that kind of the the driving principle behind your work is about lived experience and connection and, and narrative. Um, and I was wondering if you could now kind of elaborate on on your side of that and why those things are important to you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, thanks for the the really thoughtful questions. Um, I really enjoyed just listening to your answer there, Kenyon. And, and mm-hmm. I'd just chime in that um, 
just to keep plucking the, the, the thread of that metaphor that um, kind of became the root of the film that I made about Canyon and Chloe um, called Rural Runners, but that metaphor of, uh, you said somewhere in there, Canyon, you know, going going into this, this race where Chloe was a 16-point underdog, which is a huge, huge margin, and just finding value in, um, there has to be value in the process um, and in all the little steps you take along the way and the way you build community and, and everything that you're learning and engaging in and, and sort of process um, predicating outcome, you know, not that they're unrelated, but that there has to be value in the process. And I just think that that's the more that I've, um, you know, time that I've spent running over the years um, and, you know, going out to do little races or whatever it might be. It's really, um, it's less about doing the race. For me, it's never a question of winning. That's not something I'm trying to do, but oftentimes it's like, okay, you know, is the race the thing just to do it? But it's really the work that leads up to the race. It's all of those moments along the way and the, the people you meet, the trails you see. And I think that that, um, that really was kind of the driving force for this film that, um, that we made about Canyon and Chloe was that idea of, um, you know, running a race, whether it's a trail race or a political race, um, and finding, finding the value in, in, um, all of the moments along the way, regardless of outcome. And I think that that is, is sort of a, a through line in, in my work and the stories that I like to tell are, um, are sort of looking past what maybe the, you know, and not to downplay the amazing accomplishments of, of folks who are winning these races and, you know, of Chloe, of Canyon, of, um, of, of all of the folks who win and stand on the podium. That's amazing. But, um, sort of celebrating the, the human spirit of everyone who shows up to start at, at a starting line or a race, you know, from the person who finishes last all the way to the person who finishes first and just really, really loving getting to, um, to sort of, um, learn about different folks stories and and celebrate the the camaraderie of that journey of, of embarking on a race of embarking on a campaign and um i just love uh getting into the weeds of of um of, or maybe the weeds maybe it's more of a, a flower bed but it's just a beautiful <laughs> space of all, all the struggles that people go through um to show up to those those starting lines for these big things. And, um, and that's where I find it, you know, really, really interesting to, um, think about where we, where we really grow as humans, where we really grow as, you know, as, um, you know, political entities or, or organizing communities is oftentimes not in the, the moment of the election or the moment of the race starting or finishing. It's, it's all the work that goes into, getting to that point where you can can show up and, and be at the starting line of, of something big like that. I think that's such an important thing to foreground. And also um, it reflects the importance of 
the film as well um because it gives voice to that journey um and, and gives visual narrative to that journey um and it is as you say it's about all of those handshakes that got to yeah there is a celebration at the end of it but it almost doesn't matter not to belittle your <laughs> what you did canyon but like it is the importance is in the journey and the fact that you were doing this and then that documentational bit which isn't I'll get onto this so it's not really a documentary and that's why I think it's also really successful as a piece of visual storytelling um but it that is important it's the connections that have been made and that are so radically different to any way that that politics is usually conducted and it's it's those kind of small incidental things that make it radical not like some shouty statements and things or or as you say kind of like the you know the big lights at the at the end of a finish line and things in the podiums it, it's about the people that you to crib from dr seuss the places you go the people you meet <laughs> and i think it's really interesting yes. as well that both of you have kind of sort of journeyed out in life but then kind of come back to those formative experiences and places from from your childhood and I mean I usually start my conversations about how people got to to where they are but I think with you two it's particularly appropriate that we started with that and before we just kind of delve more into Rebel Runners there's a lovely film that you made for us The Important Places and I just wanted to to go there a little bit with you um because you you reference kind of experiences with your dad growing up and I know for both of you family is so important um so could you just talk a little bit about that yeah yeah the the important places was um sort of one of the first films I got to work on with um, my good friends at Gnarly Bay, who are the production company that helped with Rural Runners as well. Um, and it tells the story of a 28-day raft trip uh, in the middle of winter um, through the Grand Canyon with with our dad. Um, and uh, yeah, he was, he was 77 at the time and I was 27. Um, and he, he was the oldest person on the trip, uh, but had, and I was the youngest. Um, and we just shared this really special connective time, um, traveling down, um, just a, an amazing stretch of river together. And, um, and the, the film that came out of it was, was really a, a collaborative effort between a lot of people. And I just happened to be, uh, um, I happened to be, the son of my father and the person who could point the camera at him and, and capture these really intimate moments and, um, and capture some of our connection. And, um, in reflecting on that, um, and writing a little script that, um, ended up, you know, being kind of what the film is, um, centered around what really came out was, was, um, this sort of return that you were just describing Francesca of, of this return to, really appreciating um, the connections that we share with places and with people in our lives and um, how that time um, shapes us and connects us and also um, can kind of bridge bridge time. And, um, and uh, I think that that, you know, story is about the Grand Canyon. It's about me and my dad, but it, um, it, I think everyone has those those sorts of 
important places in their life, those sorts of, um, whether it's a, you know, a corner, an alleyway that you walk down or a, um, a, a stretch of trail that you walk or um, a mossy hillock that you sit on and remember or connect to people in your life and to a landscape. Um, and, um, and it's so easy to get really, really busy in life and forget to go back to those places that remind us, you know, of who we are and of how we connect to our loved ones and to the world. And so that film is really just a tribute to that sort of, um, connective of power of, of landscape and, um, yeah, to, to family and loved ones. Just listening to you reflect on that, it does make me feel quite emotional because it's making me making me connect with myself watching that and then also Rural Runners um, and just the manner in which you tell stories, Forest and Canyon, also like how you connect to people and places is it's so authentic and real and human and it, it it fills me with so much hope and joy and those are the feelings that I kind of took from from that experience of, of watching it um and I think that the intimacy in both those films kind of comes from this very organic conversation between the camera and you and, and the subjects and I think that it also really nicely reflects the nature of the the campaign itself in terms of being very grounded and tangible um and I was wondering if you could both kind of uh, reflect on what the what the relationship was like, kind of collaborating um, on this on this film from both of your perspectives. Yeah, yeah, I think that. Um, I mean, so much, so much of Forrest's magic as a storyteller is is exactly that that kind of relationship and being in it that you're kind of pinpointing he's so far from just like being just being behind the camera <laughs> you know he's very very much immersed in in what's going on and co-creating it as opposed to, to just capturing it and, and reflecting it back um and yeah, and in terms of of that relationship in in creating Rural Runners, um, you know, it was just really really special to uh, share share those experiences. You know, he's of course is one of my best friends in the whole world, and we've been through so much of life together, and to just um have have an excuse like the film to to be able to spend the the entire week together leading up to to the election um through some of the most you know turbulent anxiety riddled <laughs> days of of my life um so so special and so i don't know just like so comforting um to have to have him there. And similarly with kind of like chewing on on going after the the FKT in in the Smokies and thinking through that that project um, together it was just like a fun a really fun 
adventure to share. Forrest had, Forrest had run that route prior, and so um, he had he had lots of beta on it, and yeah, just like getting to wake up before the long before the sun and get an alpine start and drive out there to the trailhead together and um, see him on on the other side at the end. I think just getting the getting to share all of those those really special experiences along the way was um, was the best part of it all for me. And then I think that kind of just naturally reflects back into into what comes through in, in the film, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really beautifully put, Canyon. And I don't I don't have a whole lot to add to that besides that. Um, yeah just what a the the film comes and kind of uh, similar to the important places came from just a place of feeling uh deep love and inspiration um in looking at um the way um Canyon and Chloe were um charting their path through the world like i i started making that film almost 10 years ago uh just going up to film them you know, organizing at Harvard and, um, and was just really inspired by them and what they were doing, even though I didn't always know like where it was going to go or, you know, how it was going to go. I was so inspired by the way that they were going about things. And so in some ways it was a very self-serving project because it just gave me hope to, uh, to be around them, to get to, um, learn from them. And, and, and I felt, hopeful that sharing that story would would bring some hope to other folks and um and from a sort of filmmaking perspective i think you know you mentioned authenticity francesca and i think that's like um kind of the the authenticity is like the the point the end point of um that we sometimes get to get to when you have um high amounts of uh of honesty and of self-reflection and of vulnerability. And, um, and I'm, I'm always so grateful where, you know, um, when I get to be in a place where those things come together and it's just such a gift, I think in whatever medium film or podcasting or writing or however we share and express it, um, to be able to offer those things. And, um, Canyon and Chloe certainly did. and, And that was part of what made that project so special. And it, as you say, it's about about the journey. And my sense from the film is it doesn't um, it doesn't answer questions as much as pose them. Um, and I suppose that that reflects kind of Canyon your approach of being interested in people, of asking questions of people rather than telling them things. Um, but also not being afraid to ask the difficult questions that need to be. <laughs> need to be asked of those in power and I was wondering kind of off the back of that film what were you hoping the questions were that people went away with yeah that's a that's a really good question and um a great reflection too I I'm definitely um what we talked about a lot with Canyon and Chloe you know the the film could go different ways and in the political landscape that we live in here in the u.s um there's a real tendency to try to um use use screen time or airtime time to um put forward sort of 
these hardline views or narratives or sort of catchy phrases that will, um, you know, stick with people. And what we wanted to do was make a film that, um, yeah, that, like you said, kind of provoke more curiosity. And I think some of the questions, gosh, I, I, I wouldn't even want to begin to try and answer what questions I hope it left people with. Um, <laughs> Cause I think that's kind of the fun of it is, is hopefully, hopefully questions come that, um, that are energizing to people, you know, that, that make them wonder about what, you know, what they can do to, to engage. And so I, I guess questions that um, serve as invitations um, and catalysts are the sort of questions that we wanted to leave, leave people with. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. Did I leave you with any questions? Yeah, it was, it was less about, I guess, kind of having, having questions, but kind of thinking, thinking about values and like what do I value in terms of people's in terms of people's autonomy and I think it kind of dovetails with I know Canyon you're now you're the sort of the one of your projects is dirt road organizing which is kind of about empowering local people to cultivate their own grassroots leadership which I think is amazing because it's not about that kind of dictatorial and demeaning approach to politics (laughs) which I've just kind of very loosely touched on um and I was wondering, actually, if you could, could you talk a little bit about the core values of that project whilst I think of it? Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it is very much drawing from, from our campaign experiences and from, from what Force captured so well in the film and trying to do things differently and, and, give you know there's so few resources for people for progressive people trying to do grassroots organizing in rural parts of this country and so uh a big a big part of our vision is you know being able to to provide more resources to folks to provide trainings and direct on the ground support for for people to do similar organizing. And I think it's, you know, the, the core values of that are, are being authentically rooted in community and creating these grassroots movements that are of the community and for the community and really centering listening and respect as core tenants um, and as things that are so often lacking in mm. our current politics to, to be able to show up and just have have genuine conversations with folks who you wouldn't necessarily interact with otherwise and who probably have very different political um, leanings in a lot of areas from you and being able to um, just like listen with an open mind and not devolve into confrontation and and arguing and trying to, to win um, political points, and instead trying to um, trying to create something where we can see the humanity in each other, mm-hmm. um, despite despite having plenty of differences on on the issues. 
That's it. That's really interesting. I think the key, one of the key words there is listening. And I guess one of my, one of the questions I did come away with from the film was about why don't we listen? We hear so much in life, as you were saying, Forrest, like we're, we're constantly <laughs> under a sea of things that we, we can hear and we can watch and we can be told, but we don't actually listen to people and yeah we don't we don't ask questions that enable us to listen um and I think enabling people to to ask questions of each other and connect in that way um is as you say Canyon really crucial to to affect change because if we're not listening then we can't make make progress and do you think um in terms of just sort of bringing that idea of community and connection back to the kind of microcosm of the trail running community which is sort of where we started because I think it is is a microcosm of so many things that we that we've talked about do you think that there is a growing voice of activism in terms of also listening to each other I guess um in that community and how do you think that that if there is then how do you think that voice can be amplified and channeled Oh man, that's a big question. Um, I, I love it. I think, um, you know, I, I, I see the trail running community as, um, as a community that is really, really beginning to find its voice in a cool way in terms of, of, um, being involved in, in, political and and social change in a really positive way and I think um I would I would love to see to see more active dialogue and 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 spaces for yeah for listening and hearing each other out but um I think I think that you know I look at just like the the pillars of of the sport there are so many individuals who um or superstars of, of trail running who are, are incredibly dedicated activists and, and organizers. Um, I hate to name names because there's, there's so many and inevitably leave, leave folks out, but, um, also brands like, like Patagonia that uh, are really putting their money and their time where, where their mouth is and doing so much for, um, for the ecosystem of, you know, funding, funding organizations that are working on, on climate issues and community issues and making that a core tenant of, of the brand story. And I think that's, that's something that, um, is influencing, you know, other brands to step up their game in a really positive way. And, and you have media outlets, whether, you know, whether it's your podcast or, you know, trail running magazine where Zoe Rome has, has been really, um, she's the editor in chief now has, has really turned that into a powerful voice for activism and, um, thinking about our, our role, um, as citizens and individuals beyond, beyond just the trails, um, and then, you know, organizations like Protect Our Winters or the Green Racing Project, which I'm lucky to be part of, which which are really trying to bring 
bring athletes together to actively use their their voices for for lobbying or for um, for for making change in their communities. I think yeah, those are just like I think all of those areas, athletes and and brands and media and organizations. They're just like a lot of really really exciting folks leading the way and in being more than just just the sport, um, which I think is is so important. And then obviously there's so so much space for us to go a lot deeper in that and, and I'm really excited for for how that'll take shape in the years to come. I think that really nicely actually um epitomizes how that sort of cross pollination again works with creativity and athleticism as well in order to actually fit a sport within a far broader world picture that's actually affecting real change in so many areas as well um I know Forrest you're involved with Protect Our Winters as well aren't you yeah yeah I, I think there's so much there's so so many good reflections in there um that you both just shared I don't have a whole lot to add but um, a few things that come to mind are just um, that I think in in the last um, 20 years I've spent working in the sort of outdoor adventure realm, um, it's so exciting to see what Canyon has described as some of the, the sort of growing momentum um, and energy for activation. But I also think that we're, we're, we're it's a tricky place because we're kind of far behind in some ways. I think that, um, you know, the outdoor community has so much potential, um, and, and such rich skill sets learned in the outdoors to bring back and apply, um, to really hard, um, situations in, in sort of the political and social sphere and in our communities. And certainly lots of people are doing that, but I think there's also been a lot of escapism, um, sort of in in built into you know the realm of going out and, and mm-hmm. um, adventuring and so we have some catching up to do there and I think the easy thing to do oftentimes is to be like okay well let's let's catch up let's charge mm-hmm. ahead and and that kind of makes me think back to the idea of listening to and like how how do, how do we balance that need for um, you know action and change and, and energy into um you know progressive movement with also the need to kind of sit back and um not necessarily take on everything as ours to fix or to think that our first idea the best solution is the best idea you know but to really to really engage in deep listening and um i have i've thought often over the past years that we need need more public listeners and less public speakers you know we need to sort of cultivate and lift up that um that act of listening um, because that's going to be a really important part of, I think, how we, um, how we move forward and, and, um, and progress. And um, it has to be coupled with action, but I think that um, we also, you know, we could all use a little more listening in our lives. I know I could, so easy to to want to have the answer and resisting that first urge to to answer but instead to to think um and be in conversation around some of the big issues that we're tackling now i think is um is an exciting space to be in and and i think some amazing things are going to continue to come of that and 
I certainly look at Kenny and Chloe's work as an example of that and, um, and what you're doing here as well. And that is such a precious statement, needing more public listeners. Um, I'm certainly going to take that away and, and think about that more. Um, I think that's so important and, and, and such a crucial message for people, public listening. <laughs> and I'm wondering, just off the back of that, um, for both of you, what what's next for you creatively, politically, athletically? Go for it, Canyon. Mine will be short. For sure, I'll go first. I've got mine will be short. Uh, <laughs> I'm just working on um, uh, a few short film projects that I'm really excited about um, with uh, one of the brands we mentioned earlier with Patagonia here, um, who does amazing sort of social and environmental work. Um, some of those are around trail running, which is really exciting, and around um, clean air um, issues both in the U.S. and in Europe. Um, which is a realm that I'm excited to learn more about and also to see folks um, sort of using trail running as a, as a means to engage in and, and talk about air quality and air health and, and sort of what we're, um, how we're affecting our, not just our local surroundings, but sort of the, the global climate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm training for a little mountain ski race, um, back in Colorado, Grand Traverse, which I'm excited for. That's been sort of, I've spent the last few years in very wintry areas. So um, I've been doing more of my um, ambulations on skis instead of uh, running, but um, I still have been very much been enjoying the running in the summer and fall, but uh, this winter will be a, a ski winter for me. There's so many little nuggets of your um, expressions that I'm going to pocket, I think, Forrest, after this conversation. There's the ambulations on skis. And then there was a lovely one, um, the, the dabbling, professional dabbler or something. That I, I thought, oh, I'm noting that one down. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll, take, I'll keep an eye out for, for your work with Patagonia because that sounds, again, a, a really a vital a vital thing to be, to be platforming too. How about you, Canyon? Yeah, um, diving, diving headfirst into Dirt Road Organizing, um, the, the new organization with Chloe that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and coincidentally, if, if folks are, have made it this far with us and are interested in, in seeing the, the fulfilled world runners, um, it's, you can, you can Google it or it's on dirtroadorganizing.org. Um, and on the running side, just diving deep into another big year of training and racing. I'm getting ready for the Bandera 100K in mm. Texas um, a week from, wait, oh my gosh, no, it's been like three days. days. <laughs> yeah, I've just been listening yeah, to the previews of that. that. Like, I was thinking, yeah, that's, that's quite <laughs> soon, dude. <laughs> I really like seeing <laughs> getting ready for it by by putting it putting it out of my mind and, and tapering and not running and yeah it's great <laughs> I'm excited um and I would love to make it back to UTMB again this year as well um Oh, that's so exciting. And I just have um, a couple of quick fire questions, one profound and and, and two not so profound. Um, (laughs) So the first one is, um, can you describe the other in three words? Mm. 
impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Can't think about it for five minutes. <laughs> uh, You've got three bullets, so use them wisely. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two. Make up the third on the spot. <laughs> I would say, mm, I would say, seer, touchstone, mm, leader. Thanks, that's sweet. I was, <laughs> Maybe brother. <laughs> Fourth, fourth one. We'll allow you four. It's fine. <laughs> so we've got impossible. <laughs> I came up with wild, thoughtful, and driven. Okay. I'm not sure about. It. I would revise all of those with more time, but that's just <laughs> from my limited hand. <laughs> This hour of the morning, I've only had one cup of coffee. Well, one and a half cups of coffee. Good job we didn't do the earlier time. <laughs> second one. Second one. Have you got any plans to run another hundred miler together? Oh, that's a great question. We have no plans, but maybe the planning starts now. Yeah, let's start now. Good... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Canyon's been been prodding me to do do something together again, and I've been prodding him to get on skis. So maybe we'll do some combo <laughs> Ian run this spring. That sounds awesome, like a duathlon, but uh, but skis and running. You can make your own challenge. Do do a route somewhere that <laughs> you can do both. Totally. <laughs> There we go. You yeah. heard it here first. It's going to happen. They might be describing each other in three different words by the end of it, but let's see. <laughs> <laughs> and my final question um, to each of you is, what does joy mean to you? Mm. <laughs> I think the first thing that pops into my mind is, is relationships and the image of forced First, has a wonderful wood-fired hot tub, and uh, <laughs> the image that comes to mind is uh, sitting sitting in that hot tub and in candlelight with a tasty beverage in hand and stars overhead, and um, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's lovely. Can we all come join you? That's great. <laughs> I like yeah. <laughs> I like, like 10 people in it before. Uh, I, my thought was like joy is joy is life. Joy is the fuel that kind of keeps us moving through all of the um, inevitable struggles that we all go through. Joy is what, what keeps the lights on keeps us going and um, something that we can share with each other and also find finding ourselves and find out in the world that's lovely the fuel and the wood-fired hot tub <laughs> I love it well thank you so much to both of you um I know that we've had to kind of rearrange and postpone and you've both been very compassionate in that and and are both so busy as well but I think like for me just what a beautiful and fulfilling conversation um this has been and I'm, I'm really glad that we could bring both of you into it too because your connection is 
is probably one of the biggest things that I've kind of taken away from this. And I think that it's that that has kind of infused everything, everything that you do um, and what you bring to, to others as well. And so I just want to express so much gratitude for the light that you both bring to this world and, and the joy that you've you've given me from from watching and, and listening to to your stories. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Such a such a pleasure to share this time and conversation with you both. And yeah. Thanks for having uh doing your first dual dual <laughs> podcast with us is a treat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think it's gone yeah, okay. Thank you. <laughs> super, super grateful. Thank you, and so much luck for for everything that this year has ahead for you both too. I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.